0: Everybody, my name is Jared Milrad. I'm the founder of Movie Karma. We're a nonprofit organization focused on diversity, equity, inclusion, and representation, as well as social impact in Hollywood. Uh, and today, really excited to have a couple of special guests here in our podcast, "Rewriting Hollywood," uh, to talk about their latest project, Lau Lau Crocodile." Uh, it's a new film coming out in theaters October 7th. It's a it's a really fantastic, family friendly live action musical film uh, that stars, uh, some incredible talent, Javier Bardem, Constance Wook, and uh, of course, Sean Mendez as the titular character, Lyle, uh, which is a singing saltwater crocodile. Um, and really excited today to have two of the kind of creative minds behind this project, Will Speck and Josh Gordon, also known as Speck and Gordon, who co-directed the project and are joining us today to talk about their journey, uh, but also uh, we sort of what inspired them to, to work on this really fun and and I think also uh, kind of in, in neat ways important film um, so Will and, and Joshua excited to have you on thanks for being on the show
1: thanks for having us
0: absolutely absolutely so let's dive right in um, I saw the two of you you know been working together for quite a quite a while um, for folks who don't know a bit about your journeys I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about some of the origin story here, uh, I understand you met back in, back in college, um, at NYU Tisch School of the Arts, um, and, and just started writing together and working together. Can you tell us a little bit about that, that origin story?
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we met back in, um, back in film school in New York at NYU, and, um, I think we always kind of recognized in each other, a sort of shared sensibility and, uh, Kind of um, shared aesthetic, and we we started working together as writers at the beginning, um, and kind of found our way into the commercial uh, directing uh, business. Did a lot of work, including you know like all the early Gecko stuff and for Caveman and and all of that stuff, and then um, started directing films. Um, and our first film was Plates of Glory, and um, since then we've uh, directed a bunch of uh, films and a lot of um, TV and kind of always just sort of uh, continue to work together. It's kind of an interesting relationship, never really worked apart. Um, so we're probably the longest working non-brother or sister relationship uh, in Hollywood.
0: That's really neat. Well, Will, you want to build on that? I mean, what, what's that been like for you to have a collaborator um, for so many years? And what were the, what were the early kind of forays into that and you just kind of hit it off and and you start you know immediately diving into creative you know writing
2: and, and working together yes it's been great because um I've been I've been able to do half the work which has been what I've aimed for uh, my whole life um no I mean you know it's 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 actually you know we talk to other directors all the time that always say how lonely it can be directing and how you know, it's nice to be able to have somebody, some creative partner. And a lot of people find that in their producing partners or their writing partners and directing. They take sort of as its own lane. But I think um, what Josh and I share is really unique and special. And I think, you know, we just have a lot of respect for each other and it feels like we're still growing and we're still able to do new things and um, try different genres out. And um, there's just a core trust there. So I think it's been really great.
0: Yeah. And what's been the process like, um, you know, as you've moved on with your career, you, you mentioned, um, Josh, I think you mentioned blades of glory, but I imagine, um, you know, it took some time to, to get, to be able to do, for example, your first feature um, and to get to sort of earn the trust of the industry, if you will, to do that. Um, so what were some of those, you know, as you were starting to get the commercials or really starting to get your footing um, maybe Josh, you could talk about what, you know, what were some of those challenges as you were collaborating together, maybe felt like you were hitting on all cylinders together, but that there was, you know, you were still sort of climbing this career
1: ladder? Well, you know, I think, um, you know, when you're starting out as a director specifically, you know, um, it is hard to gain the trust of the industry, meaning, you know, it's a lot of money it's a lot of responsibility that they're that they're you know putting in your hands and i think we were very lucky in that the commercial industry when we started was very uh, healthy and kind of robust and you could you could start essentially small you could you could work out your style you could work out what what worked for you on set and you could, you know, honestly, you know, work out your kinks. I mean, you know, not everybody's perfect. And, you know, you have to kind of figure out how to conduct yourself and how to, you know, how to, how to operate in this kind of weird professional environment. And we were able to do that in commercials. And so I think we did that for a couple of years. And by the time we, we got to direct our first film, it it didn't feel like we were like first set a new what we wanted and we knew how to how to how to fight for what we needed and we knew also how to kind of um, compromise when we needed. So that was those were important lessons I think we learned in the early days of commercials.
0: Yeah, and it's really interesting. I think a lot of folks or you know, maybe future directors listening to this might not think of commercials as a route for them um, or might not know much about that pathway. Uh, I have a number of friends who've, who've done some similar things where they've started in commercials and really sort of honed their craft and did some great work and then kind of branched out to to narrative storytelling or even documentary storytelling. Um, I wonder if either of you could comment on, you know, building on what you just said, Josh, you know what your advice might be if you had any for you know, maybe a young director or potential director listening to this about, the value of having that commercial experience um, and what that, what that gave you in terms of narrative storytelling?
1: Well, I think it's whether it's commercials or music videos or, you know, frankly, there's so much now that wasn't there when we started just because the internet is an explosion of opportunity. Um, I have a son right now who just graduated from NYU and his you know the projects that he and his friends are, are, are starting to work on are kind of blowing my mind in terms of how many the proliferation of sort of platforms and things that you can work for you know obviously when you're first starting out the budgets are extremely low you're you're begging and borrowing to get these things made I think the most important thing is not to turn too much down like do work you know that was what was lucky about commercials was you can get into your own head. Oh, this has to be the most perfect thing I've ever made. And it represents everything that I want to say as a filmmaker. And, you know, those are, are rare when you're starting out. If you're lucky, they're there. But what's more important is I think gaining experience because with experience, you kind of figure out the types of crews that you want to work for, how you need to ask for things or demand for things. Those are the hardest things, I think, for a director to kind of navigate and a lot of directors founder when they first do their first features because they're, they're, they either demand too much or they demand too little, you know what I mean? So I think it's, it's really kind of finding, finding what works for you. And the only way you can really find what works for you is I think by just doing it, you know.
0: Right. Getting that practical experience, which is so important (laughs) uh, in the industry, as you said. Um, I wanted to comment or just check in, I guess, on some two interesting, couple of interesting projects that you worked on in the, Kind of commercial adjacent space or PSA space, which you 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 received quite a bit of attention for. Um, one was uh, um kind of PSA make homosexuals marry with with Justin Long and Mike White um, back around in the Prop Eight days in California. Yeah, um, which uh, yeah, Josh, wondering you could talk a little about doing a project like that because that was at the time I imagine <clears throat> not universally loved in terms of you know you're saying okay. Like, hey, Uh, for those of you upset with kind of a quote homosexual lifestyle like like let us let us folks you know get married or you know kind of thing and it sort of had a um, tongue-in-cheek tone but it was also I'm sure controversial at the time or you know there are some folks who who was like you're saying maybe you shouldn't do this I wonder like what was that what was that experience like doing that
2: I mean it was kind of a tricky time you know because Mm -hmm. there were you know there was sort of a imposing law that was coming down pretty fast and furious. And um, I remember Josh and I, we had a a very specific window we needed to hit um, to in order to do that and get it out there and try to make a difference with it. And so in kind of a fun improvisational way, we all jumped in, you know, our agency, you know, the guys that brought it to us, this guy, Chris Beresford Hill, and a couple other people, John Doris, like they, we all partnered up, Josh really polished up the script. I think based a little bit on my uh, relationship at the time, um, and we sort of, you know, twisted this idea about, you know, what gay marriage could be in terms of, you know, conventions and challenging the the fun of twisting that. And I think it it was met, you know, I think, uh, you know, with some controversy, but I think ultimately you know, Josh, I think it really got out there and got the message out there in a, in a fun and funny way.
1: Yeah, we find that comedy, you know, oftentimes can disarm, you know, even critics because ultimately you can recognize the point of that was every marriage is the same regardless of who you are. So uh, it's equally miserable for everybody. So so yeah, that, I can sort of, to that. that was the comedic <laughs> premise. So I think, I think anybody ultimately, even if they're angry about it, can recognize the truth of that.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting where we've come. I mean, to else point, I mean, you know, I've been in a, a boring, you know, same-sex marriage for, I think, seven, eight years now. And I think it's really, and, you know, we got married, my husband and I, right around, you know, when the Supreme Court said this was the law of the land and in Illinois um, and then nationally. And so it's interesting to see, too, where that movement has gone, right, where now you have sort of another generation of queer LGBTQ plus folks saying, hey, we don't want to get married. Like, why Why are you doing this kind of heteronormative thing, right? So it's interesting to rewatch it now. and, and Yeah. Uh, Shifted.
1: everything is everything is quaint with with time. You know? Yeah,
0: exactly. So uh what was the big deal kind of thing. Um you also did a project called uh world's biggest asshole uh, starring Domas Thomas Jane uh and the voice of Will Arnett who I know you've collaborated with quite a bit. I just want to quickly ask about that. It was um real uh, impactful project um on some important issues um and you know also won quite a bit quite a few awards I understand um with uh, as a sponsor, Donate Life America. I wonder if you just comment on just doing projects like that, or, or what that what that experience was like.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it, that was another project that was brought to us by the agency that we had done all of the Geico work with, including the caveman and the gecko years before. And and you know, it was for it's a pro bono job. You know, we we as we as we continued to work. In film and TV, we would always go back to the commercial industry because we love it, and we have a company that that produces commercials. and And what we found great kind of creative, you know, nourishment and was doing things like PSAs. A, they make a big difference, and B, you're like afforded a lot of creative freedom in doing them. And this was for a client called Donate Life. You know, one of the problems that they faced was that young men are are the most sort of unfortunately likely to um, die young and are the lowest group to ever tick the box of donating organs. And so they had this big problem of reaching out to younger men and they had very kind of, before this very saccharine kind of advertising that that just tried to appeal to your general goodness which uh, wasn't really working. And so they came up with this idea that, you know, even if you're the world's biggest asshole, if you're the worst person in the world, if you just tick this box, at the end, you can actually sort of be a good person and leave the world with with some some pride. So we wrote this very, very dark, very dark spot uh, about a guy who's just really the worst person you've ever met. And it sort of exhibits that behavior. And that was just us digging into like, okay, what's really bad, awful, behavior and then at the end he affects all these incredible people's lives and we did it um, shot it over about three days pretty much all favors and everybody did it uh, for free and you know it ended up reaching almost 100 million people and uh, changing I think they said something like half a million uh, young men signed up that wouldn't have otherwise signed up and so it was ultimately this incredibly like and they said something like each person that signs up can save at least two or three lives. So we were like, we sort of had this amazing experience on it of being like, wow, this may be the most important thing we've ever done. And it was just hmm. a two or three day little free job. But but those kind of jobs, when you get them, are, are amazing.
0: And and what do you what do you take away from that, Josh? I Me, mean, other than obviously just the impact that you said you can have with something seemingly maybe you know minor or or um, uh, you know just like a short short spot but i but i wonder like yeah i think that says a lot about the impact of story yeah and the impact of of comedy and 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 i
1: and i think there's a there's a basic there was like a basic truth to the premise right Mm -hmm. which was everybody's sort of enjoys bad behavior on some level when you see it. And so it was able to suck you in with humor and darkness and it didn't pull any punches. That I think was why it, it hit so many people because it was this very strong flavor that you don't normally see because his behavior was truly reprehensible. And so it sort of sucked you in and then the heart kind of came in at the end instead of leading with the heart. So I think for Will and I, this sort of we're cynical guys in our in our base sensibility but underneath we're sort of soft and we have like real, we have heart so there's something always about that combination of those two flavors together that i think are potent when they work
0: it's a good segue to, to lala crocodile i had a chance to screen the film it's a really heartwarming you know it's funny it, it's fun it's I, I think obviously i remember hearing of course of the story the ch- famous children's story which is, based on the book I think published in 1965 by Bernard Weber, um, of this, you know, singing saltwater crocodile. Um, so a lot of folks listening to this, I'm sure, may remember it from their childhood or maybe teaching their own, you know, reading it to the their own kids. But um, tell us a little bit, either of you, if you would, or both of you, about this, you know, getting attached to this project and how it fit or or was an expansion of kind of the sensibilities of the types of work that you look for.
2: I think it was something that Josh and I always were attracted to because we both love the books when we were kids and we both read the books to our kids. Um, and uh, I think it was something that stayed with us because it was during a time with children's literature that where there were sort of you know a little bit of melancholy, a little bit of deeper, darker themes. And I think the idea about finding your voice, a little bit of self-acceptance, kind of the wish fulfillment that somebody could come in an unlikely way and change your life were all of these sort of messages that Josh and I were kind of imposing on these, you know, 26 or so pages of this kid's book. And I think it didn't really disappoint when we put it to filming, filming it as an adaptation. And I think wanting to do a musical was something Josh and I have always wanted to do. Um, right. And it was a big challenge, but it was one that we just absolutely loved every minute of. So I think all in all, a really positive sort of step for us um, and something completely different. But as you said, we tried to bring some comedy into it and some heart into it. Um, and a little bit of undercurrent of darkness in Javier's character, just because I think that's sort of the elements of our work that seemed to be always.
0: Right. Yeah, and, and Josh and I don't want to build on that, but I mean, there's certainly, um, there's certainly a lot of themes here, you know, around courage, around friendship, open-mindedness, but I think also just, you know, we, the, the sort of the, the main, you know, young, young kid in the character in the film, the main character there, he, you know, other than Lyle, he, he sort of is struggling with, I think, you know, anxiety and sort of living in a new community and new school and all, all those things that a lot of kids, um, probably anyone can relate to, but I think certainly as a young person, just sort of navigating those spaces when you feel different, um, can be challenging. So like, what what were, you know, some of those themes beyond what Will just mentioned, Josh, that you wanted to really explore?
1: I think also, you know, everything Will talked about was, was why we were drawn to it. And I think what we discovered with Will Davies, you know, the writer, as we were adapting it, you know, was that the story is also really about inclusion on a certain level. It's about not fearing the other you know and the book is really about a crocodile who is uh, terrifying on the surface and people don't understand him and ultimately by loving him they unlock this beautiful soul and that soul kind of makes them all richer and better so I think that was something that was a theme that was coursing through the book like Will said a lot of these books in the 60s treated children like adults but Gave them a more sophisticated version of a child's book than, like, you know, you know, run with Dick and Jane or something. You know, it was very was it dealt with things like melancholy and loneliness and and things like that. So I think I think that theme of inclusion was important to us.
0: Yeah, it certainly was very present in, in both you know both the stories that you based this this, this film on, but also the film itself. Um, and that's an important theme, obviously, right now, uh, with most, you know, so much of the division that we see in our politics, in our society. Um,
2: it,
0: wondering, you know, Will or, or Josh, if you want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, wh- where you see, think this is landing in terms of audiences, I know it hasn't been fully released yet, but in terms of the impact it can have on, or do you think it would have an impact on just you know, to to Josh's point, that the ability to be more open minded, to you know, to extend a hand to someone who's or something that's different from you, um, you know, what are some of the impacts you think this this could have more broadly, if if any, in some of those some of those themes?
2: Um, I think. Look, you always hope that your work can speak to people and that people impose some level of their own experiences and the potential for change into what you present to them do you know what I mean um you know sometimes it's more pointed like Josh was talking about in our PSA work um but I think here look there's not a lot of there's a lot of joy in the movie and there's a lot of you know elements of we hope in a kind of a light way about being other about being different and about having a chance to transition out of that energy by you know the relationship that they have with this crocodile and I think if if some people pull that if some kids identify you know what I've felt a little lonely or it's not been fun for me to be in a new place and you know there's a light at the end of the tunnel and, and, and in an easygoing way it feels like that would be great to see that there's some impact I don't know Josh if you want to build on that but
1: yeah no I think look with 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 children's literature and also with films that that are aimed at a, at a younger audience, you know, you want the themes to kind of be absorbed in a light way, right? You don't want to hit them over the head. And I think, look, I I was I was made a more inclusive, better person by watching Sesame Street. You know what I mean? So I think it's I think when you make these things, I think they do affect kids kind of over the long term and parents. But I think we also wanted to make a movie at this time that's joyous because there's so, much, uh, there's so much darkness right now in the world and there's, you know, especially kids are going through so much with COVID and with all the stuff that's going on in the world that the nice thing about going to a movie theater, sitting in a darkened theater, being transported into kind of a magical world, this time a musical starring a crocodile. And if those themes can kind of work on your mind in the background, then it's, to us, it's a win-win. It's kind of a, a great, you know, Every, everything works
0: yeah, it's a beautiful message, and I think that's where the, the social impact lies and the inclusion lies as you said um, a couple of questions before we wrap here for the for the Sean Mendez fans listening and I'm one of them um, what was it like working with him on yeah. this um, and you know he brings a lot of life and joy to this. we don't see his his face uh, <laughs> exactly, um, but as Lyle he you know brings I think just a great spirit of um, optimism and fun and, and acceptance and love. I mean, there's just so much I think that he brought to this and I was curious what that process was like or if you want to comment on what it was like working with this incredible ensemble too that you worked with.
1: I mean, Sean was, Sean was incredible. I mean, he, uh, we had, he was sort of our first choice. We, we were, you know, lucky enough that he related actually to the character quite a bit. He, when we first talked to him, he talked about, you know, his own, you know, anxiety about performing and the need to be loved and accepted and that he felt sometimes like a big kind of overgrown sort of lug because he's, you know, he's very tall. Uh, and so he sort of said, I kind of relate to this character. And what was surprising was, you know, he's obviously an incredible, you know, pop artist. He's an incredible singer. Um, but he's quite a good actor, like he came in and was able to interpret as an actor would these songs, you know, and um, Pasek and Paul, who are composers, write absolutely beautiful songs, like, you know, the songs from La Land and Greatest Showman, um, but they're, they're, they're hard songs for people to sing because they're very complex musically, and Sean was able to really um, excel at that, and that, that was an incredible sort of thing to watch him Go through in the studio was was that first kind of acting um, experience, um, and in terms of the other actors, I mean, we really got our first choice everywhere. I mean, Javier Bardem is one of the you know greatest actors in the world, obviously, and he brings a kind of depth and and gravitas to that character that was really something we were hoping for and really exceeded our expectations. Constance Wu who came out of musical theater before she became, you know, film actress, you know, is amazing in her musical sequences. So we really, and then Winslow, you know, and uh, plays the young boy. I mean, everybody across the board really um, sort of was our our first choice and gave us everything we wanted.
0: Yeah, it really was an an ensemble performance that folks can enjoy in a really fun musical way. And also just a, 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 a kind of meaningful way as well. Um, and on that point about about Sean, I mean, it's really interesting to see his comments lately on mental health, um, and his you know sort of openness about that. And, and to your point, Josh, it, it seemed like this kind of character would connect to him given what he's experiencing. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess the last question here is just is sort of what's coming up next for both of you. I saw you're you attached to do some some really. Um, exciting stuff! Uh, executive producing an upcoming a twenty-four thriller, Silver Lake, with was, was Zachary Quinto, um, and, and doing some 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 really neat stuff upcoming. So, I wonder if either you wanted to talk about what what kind of projects you're looking for now, or what, where you want to head in your career next. Well,
1: we're you know we're, um, we're we're sort of continuing to look to expand. We're looking to do another musical um, with Pascal and Paul, um, and we've got you know, kind of a diverse slate of projects, including an upcoming sci-fi film called Distant, which is gonna be released by Universal and um, Amblin uh, in uh, next year, uh, which is starring Anthony Ramos and is a sci-fi thriller uh, set 100 years to the future on a distant planet. Um, But our first thing that we're doing right now is a TV show for um, Marvel, and Hulu, which is the second season of our show, uh, Hit Monkey, which stars Jason Sudeikis uh, and Olivia Munn, um, which is a sort of uh, R-rated animated adult um, sort of uh, show on Hulu, so.
0: It's it's exciting, I guess, before I let you go on that point, just in terms of what's upcoming, um you know we asked all of our guests this last question around just uh inclusion uh, diversity equity where the industry's heading and you guys we talked we tr- touched on this a lot today um with some of your prior work um you've certainly i think been vanguards in, in some of the some of these respects but um w- how do you see that how do you see then where the industry's heading on this question of you know more representation more equity more inclusion in terms of both in front of the camera which we definitely see in